You know who did this? They don't have a name. What kind of tribe doesn't have a name? One that doesn't have a language. Cave dwellers. You know where they are? I have a general idea. You'll take us to them? I won't. Because you're an Indian? Because I don't want to get killed. You'll show us where they're at? Bring me a map of the Western Range. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 24. We are nearly uh, a quarter of a hundred episodes in, and I'm so, so excited. We thank you very much, listeners, for having stuck with us all this way. We're having a conversation about Christianity and the horror genre and that intersection. Having that conversation is, of course, uh, myself, Reed Lackey, and... Myself, Nathan Rouse. I almost didn't make it today, Reed. I was... uh I was busy getting a drink at the Learned Goat, you know. It's a good, it's a wonderful little watering hole you might have heard of. <laughs> the Learned Goat. That is one of the best names. Though, granted, after uh, after last week's witch talk, maybe I should avoid anything with the name goat in it, with the word goat in That's its name. That's a good point. <laughs> they have great butter at the Learned Goat, though, and they live deliciously. Oh, man. I don't want, well, I'll tell you who unfortunately tries to live deliciously are these friggin' monsters in the desert. Good lord. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, unfortunately we will. So listeners, what we're, what we're sort of dancing around, um, dancing around the alerted goat is uh, that we're discussing a film today that is one of my recent favorite films. I adore this movie. I can't seem to stop talking about this movie. And that is Batman Superman, right? Uh, yeah, last year, uh, this year's Batman <laughs> versus Superman. Good Lord, I hate it when you bring that movie up because it already makes me irritable. Um, <laughs> um, no, sincerely, we are going to be discussing Craig Zoller's film from last year called Bone Tomahawk. And this was a film that, uh, like like The Witch, we did an episode on More Than One Lesson about it. But uh, Nathan, I was the one who had really told you a great deal about it. But I was curious, had you had you heard much about this film outside of my specific recommendation? Had this been in the ether for you at all? Um, you know how sometimes, like, these movies will just, like, you've got an Apple TV and I do too. And sometimes these movies will just pop up kind of as the new stuff that's in the Apple TV movies and... So I registered it when it was first released, um, but not with any real intentionality. I just, oh, that's got an interesting title to it, and that's Kurt Russell. Well, then some local peers started talking about having seen it, 
um, having really enjoyed it and, and it sort of deepened its attention on my radar. And then once you had sort of, I don't know where or, or when it was during 2016 that you initially watched it, but once you had talked it up as highly as you did, it's like, okay, well, I, I need to at least get around to that at some point. I did not anticipate necessarily we'd be doing an episode on it, though I am glad we are. So, so yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I've only seen it the one time. It is, it's a wonderful little flick. So I'm glad we're getting the chance to uh, unpack it a little bit. I am too. This is actually my, my third viewing of it. I was floored. I was stunned. It, it, it hit my radar purely because it was a critically acclaimed Western and horror film. I love horror films. Obviously, we do a podcast about it. But I also love westerns, and we should do I a pod. We should start a podcast about the intersection of faith and and horror westerns. Like I think there's a lot of ground to cover in that genre. I mean, I'm just kidding. All you have would be Bone Tomahawk, <laughs> and and then. Is I mean, I'm even sitting here like trying to find a pithy joke reference and I can't even right. think of anything. It's funny. I actually have a friend who I tell Matt Murray shout out. Um, I told him we were covering <laughs> Bone Tomahawk and he was like, Oh, I didn't know that was a horror movie. I was like, well, the first hour of it is relatively straightforward Western. And then the last right. 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. It's pretty horrific. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And well, that, and that's a, that's a good point to bring up is that I think this fits very firmly the definition. I will say that I think Western lovers will enjoy the uh, sort of the turn that it takes towards the horrific at the end more so than straightforward horror fans will be able to tolerate the hour and 15 minutes of pure Western up top. I may be wrong about that because I've talked to a lot of people who enjoy this film. I've recommended this film to a lot of people and almost all of them have come back acknowledging, yes, this is this is a wonderful movie and and we think it's. We think it's great. So I, I definitely feel like it's got a lot for fans of either of those genres, but it's so impressive to me that it is such a perfect blend. It is definitely a true Western, and in my opinion, especially towards the end, it is definitely a true horror story. I mean, it is a, it is a monster, monster movie. One of the things that really makes me mad about this film makes me genuinely a little, a little upset is the fact that here is the third, count them third, film that you and I, Nathan, have covered that is, we first talked about The Babadook, then uh, last week we talked about The Witch in such a robust conversation that we had to, to have an extra conversation about it. So we talked about The Babadook, we talked about The Witch, and now here we're talking about Bone Tomahawk. These are all from first-time writer-directors. And it just makes me mad. Well, it just makes you know, me really I mad. Want to, I want to interject to that. In a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a little bright hope. You like that? <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I like that a lot. You know, I, I get it, and I'm totally with you on the it-makes-you-mad sort of mentality, or, or I can totally track with you there. At the same time, I'm going to offer, again, some bright hope here and say, at the same time, maybe it should inspire you to think, you know Ooh. what? These... These jokers are making some quality movies. Yeah. You know, the, the, the three you just referenced, those are, that's quality. And, you know, just fresh feature film director writers for themselves. And I don't know. We, we should view that as a hopeful thing, not as a negative thing, my friend. You know what? You know what? I repent. I think you're right. I am, <laughs> I am now, I am now, I am now on board for, uh, well, and 
all facetiousness aside, I mean, I joke that it makes me mad and everything, but it is it is exciting that now here's three new voices in the cinema sure, world sure. to watch and to look out for. And I mean, you know, look at look at it this way. I mean, goodness gracious, now this is not you and I, but in terms of fresh voices, like Gareth Edwards, whose name uh, uh, yeah. you might know, but like did Monsters, which is a fantastic under the radar. I wouldn't even call it really a horror movie, but, you know, kind of quote unquote scary movie, but more character driven. Uh, immediately went from that to Godzilla, which critically didn't do amazing, but everyone recognized his skill, um, with it. Right, right. Um, and went from that to stinking Star Wars, Rogue One, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you're, you're not off base in recognizing some of these folks' names maybe more household in a couple of years than even we realize at the moment. Yeah. And particularly in the case of Craig Zoller, uh, that would delight me. I mean, Jennifer Kent with the Babadook, Robert Eggers with the Witch, those, those are all people that are going to be on my radar for a long time. But I will say that I think the script for Bone Tomahawk it's definitely the strongest script for a Western that I've seen since Unforgiven, which was, you know, 20 plus years ago. But honestly, it's one of the strongest scripts I've seen for any film in years. I mean, it is such a phenomenal what piece you, of work. I'm going to throw this question at you that, that you and I, you and I have not pre-briefed any of these last few, and that's not for the, not for the negative. But so here's a thought that just came to me. You know, like I'm going to use, I'm going to call it the Kate McKinnon phenomena you know you watch something like ghostbusters which i'm not interested in a big conversation about that but there's a degree to which kate mckinnon feels like she's part of maybe a different movie kate mckinnon really stands out in that movie hmm. for positive and negative you know like like she's just a little off the charts character wise i don't mean it's a bad character i just mean everyone else is playing at a five she's playing at like an 11 right I texted you 10 minutes into Bone Tomahawk and just said, this is a fantastic script. Like already, yeah. you know, it, is there ever a negative when it stands out that much is sort of the question I'm trying mm -hmm. to. I'm not suggesting that it is a negative in this case at all, but it does make you wonder sometimes if right. if a particular spoke on the wheel of, of a production stands out that strongly, is that just is that okay is that good I, I don't know that's just sort of something right. that's coming to me well if if i understand your question correctly i i think and i really I'm, I'm really glad you asked it because if i understand it correctly is can the script be too good like is the fact that we're calling so much attention to it sort of a negative thing because you know it, it is so noteworthy one of the things that that i think the script is is i think it's structurally very sound, but it's deeply poetic. Sure. Um, and I don't mean poetic in that whole flowery language or anything. There is an artistry yeah. to the, the structure, the way these people speak. Uh, I think about a rhythm and you and I'm are, are probably in a little while going to get into just some of our favorite lines from the movie. So I apologize if I'm stealing one of yours, but there's a moment. When Bruder's character is looking through the spyglass, the and German he's looking up and the German, Get uh, it right. the German, yeah, he's looking through the German, and and Chigger asks him, "What do you see?" He said, "A snake up in the tree," <laughs> and he so says, <laughs> and Chigger, he says, "What kind?" And then you hear a gunshot, and he goes, "Deceased." <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's a great example of just this. You know, Zoller understands timing. He understands brevity. He understands economy of language and just being sure. able to communicate so much with a handful of words. And that's part of the things. Well, that, that scene, that scene is that that's a perfect example of, of that, you know, and, and I think, you know, I, I'm not going to inflate this to a degree to where like this is Shakespeare, but it's like Shakespeare in the sense that mm. 
And even my example of Kate McKinnon and the Ghostbusters thing is a little not a perfect analogy because I think in this scenario, the script is the movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's one thing to have an incredibly strong performer that sort of outweighs and outshines everyone else in the movie, you know, that that sort of becomes a lightning rod in it that every time they're on screen, you pay attention to that. Everything else is a little less than. Whereas in this case, the script kind of forces the performers to rise to its level uh, if they're going to, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And and I do think this right Zoller, is that what you said his name is? Uh, yeah, um, Craig he, Zoller. He is lucky in that the casting is strong enough that lines that otherwise in a lesser performer's mouth might come out clunky or, or right. unrefined, it all works. You know, these are, these are yeah. capable, competent performers who are just really served well by the script. Yeah, and whether it was him as a director communicating this effectively to them where which it very well may have been but they seem to really understand this material everybody involved in this knows what they're doing i said to you um you know this movie is almost like if you if you do a pie graph of this movie it's 20 percent horror <laughs> let me make sure i get my math right here um six, <laughs> 60 western and then 20 percent comedy i mean it is funny oh and yeah, yeah. and the reason that shines through so much is what you're describing. It is all, you know, a, a, a well-oiled script, a well-oiled screenplay is all about, or, or comedic lining, um, you know, readings of lines is all about rhythm. It's all about pace. It's yes. about, it's yeah. about that zing. I call it sort of the arrested development, you know, experience of like, it is just about the timing. It is about the pace. It is about the rhythm. Um, and, and, and everyone at work in this movie nails that. Yeah, I completely agree. And one final thing that I'll say about the script, and, you know, it, it really just falls in line with this. The, the film that you see, if you were to sit down and watch Bone Tomahawk, represents the first draft of the script. I don't know if that. Now, see, that you can, that you can be mad about. Don't be mad at the guy for having some success. Get mad about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, and it's true. And I had a, when I was chatting with Tyler about this, he pointed out something good because at first I, I even reading it in trivia, I found it difficult to believe. But he pointed out, he said, when I recognized the length of the movie, then I believe it was a first draft because subsequent drafts probably would have trimmed some of these scenes sure, down. Sure. Not that it needs to be shorter, but even as I'm even as I was watching it again after hearing him make that comment, I'm noticing a couple of scenes that I'm like, OK, I'm glad that scene is in there, but that scene is the kind of thing that would have been dropped from a second draft because right. it's not necessarily propelling the story forward. It's enhancing character. It's enhancing relationship, but it's not necessarily moving them closer to that, that dreaded cave they wind up at at the end. Sure. And just as, just as an asterisk there for listeners who might not know, otherwise you're referring to Tyler Smith of more than one lesson. So yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. 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 So I have just a couple of trivial tidbits uh, before we move into likes, dislikes. One of the, the, the actors that I wanted to call out uh, for any of listeners who would be our peers age-wise, so the piano player. Did you recognize the piano player? I feel like I did, but I didn't do the digging to know who he was. Uh, yeah, the piano player in The Learned Goat, who has, you know, a mere scene, basically. He's, he's basically in one interaction with Bruder. That is an actor by the name of James Tolkien. James Tolkien you would more prominently know as sort of he played these sort of gruff and stubborn authority figures in 80s action adventure and comedies specifically he's the principal in back to the future and he's you know one of these uh i think he's either the police chief or a stubborn grizzled cop in masters of the universe like i used to see him a lot in older 80s films yeah and when yeah and when i saw him as the piano player i was like is that 
is that James Tolkien? And then sure enough, I looked it up. I was like, I mean, he's, he's aged a little bit and they've muddied him up for the, for that role. But I just thought that was so great that, that, you know, there's a little, a little touch like that just made me so happy. And for the other little, I'm sorry, for the, for the nerds listening, is, is he of any sort of kin to JRR? No, it's spelled Tolkien. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I am saying I'm saying Tolkien, but it's spelled utterly dif- differently. Okay. Uh, his last name is T O L K A N. But uh, the 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 last sort of trivial tidbit is uh, Patrick Wilson and Zahn McLaren. So I, I'm I'm not being disrespectful here. I'm calling out a character in an in, in an identifiable way in the Learned Goat before our team moves out to do what they need to do, which we we haven't even really addressed the plot. We'll do that in a second. Zahn McLaren plays an Indian who's very proper and civilized. Zahn McLaren and Patrick Wilson were both in the second season of Fargo. And I just, I just found it interesting. It stuck out to me this time around that they were, that they're showing up here together. I don't know if they're friends. Which or... I still need to see, so don't spoil it. Okay. Yeah. No problem. But, uh, yeah, just, a, just a couple little trivial tidbits there. I want to briefly address the, and, and moving in as a way of moving into likes and dislikes. I want to briefly address the general story. And the reason I want to do that is because I feel like this story is so structurally sound. One of my likes on it is that this story is almost feels ancient and classical in its structure. I feel like you could take the basic premise of this movie and boil it down to a monster. It's sort of a heart of darkness kind of thing, yeah? Well, yeah, I would, uh, I would allude it to a variety of films and a variety of stories, including heart, heart of darkness. I, the, the idea of just a, a damsel has been captured by a monster of some kind. In this case, the monster is a tribe of cannibalistic uh, savages. But a, a damsel has been captured, and a group of knights must go on a quest to rescue her. Um, you know, I, I, I equated it when I was talking with one with one other friend about uh, that. It's almost like you know, sort of they're going into the lair of a dragon. You know, like the the story feels that old, and sure. I think that's that that's again to the credit of Zoller as the writer. And to this script that the story is so sound structurally and it, it just works so well. I feel like you could take this basic premise and set it in almost any era and you're going to have the opportunity for a compelling story. Uh, I think it specifically works very well as a Western, but I could see it being, you know, an ancient sort of uh, sword and sorcery kind of story. I could see it uh, being... You know, maybe something in a more Eastern culture. Uh, I, I could see this basic structure going in a variety of different ways. And again, that's one of my major likes about it is just the story is really compelling on a whole. I, before I move into something that I was going to say in likes, dislikes, did you have any specific call outs that you wanted to make uh, about just about the movie in general? Likes, dislikes, anything like that? Sure. Um, I have always actively disliked David Arquette and was hmm. pleased to not have that feeling accompany this movie. Uh, so that was <laughs> pleasurable. Technical likes, again, as I've addressed, I think the script is fantastic. I mean, it just, it just really, it sings. You know, this seems like, oh, Nathan, you're so PC, but whatever. This is the world we live in at the moment. I appreciate that the, that attention was paid that these are not just Native Americans against white men having stolen oh, the white yeah. woman. I mean, like the, the characters who are the quote unquote antagonists, the bad guys, I mean, they're, they're, they're monsters and they, I, I feel like yeah. that's not just to be scary, but I think that's a right, proper, intentional choice to make. Like, oh yeah, you can't, you can't just do 
white men versus Indians anymore. Like, and, and that's okay. That's good. But right, they, right. they, they treat that with some sensitivity in such a way that enhances the story as opposed to making it feel just like some PC sort of silliness. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it makes perfect sense. I'll even validate it with a, uh, with a line from the film when, uh, they're at the learned goat. Play a drinking game, listeners, for how many times we say learned goat. But as they're in that in that saloon, they ask the the Indian, which I'm I'm remiss to remember his name at the moment. But they they ask the Indian there. They're like, well, don't you understand? The, aren't aren't these your people? And he looks right at them and says, these are not my people. Right. You know, like right. there there's a distinction made in the script between like, no, what you're what you're dealing with are monsters. You're right. dealing with killers. This is this is savagery. And I think I agree with you. I found that to there's a whole side conversation that we that we don't have the the time or the preparation to have about the abuses that were heaped upon the Native American people and th- how the Western genre itself has tended to to stereotype that in uh, horrendous ways throughout history, even in brilliant, wonderful movies. But I think that this film is is very savvy and is very deliberate in how it, like you said, chooses not to do that. Instead, the monsters are proper monsters. I keep coming back to uh, probably for ways that the script sets me up to feel. I see them as a collective dragon. They're sure. they're a tribe of savages, but I, I just cannot get rid of the dragon imagery uh, when when thinking about this story. Well, I mean, even just the even just the you know sound design of their howls. I mean, that is right terrifying. You know, and so yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't I don't think you're. Um, I don't think you're wrong in that sort of interpretation. Um, other than that, you know, I mean, uh, I, I'm open to whatever you've got next. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to like about the movie. Sure. And, and sure. Yeah. I'm sure we'll unpack bits and pieces as we go. Well, my major like, and this is what I want to take just maybe three to five minutes here and talk about my major like is the four core characters are so well defined and so fully realized both in the script and in Zoller's direction and in the performances by these four actors that I wanted to take a few minutes in this likes dislikes area and just talk about each of these four characters specifically and deliberately. I'd like to start just because he's probably my favorite. I'd like to start with Chicory. You said, uh, when we talked about let me in, we're having a little bit of a Richard Jenkins run, which is, uh, that is a very, very good thing. I adore that actor. I think he's wonderful. And Chicory is such a lovable guy. He is such a wonderful, wonderful character from his entrance all the way through to, uh, and, and listeners, we are going to spoil this entire movie. I'm sure we're going to talk about everything. This is a film that, with the exception of one scene, I think, you know, should be viewed by anybody with, you know, an adult palette to view it. Um, I think it's an exceptional, exceptional film. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, please, please seek it out and see it. But, um, Chicory, from his entrance all the way up through, uh, the end of the film, is just a highlight for me. He's somebody who, you talk about these comedy elements, a lot of them come by way of chicory. And in moments that are tense and horrific, I'm thinking about, and I know I'm jumping straight to to something towards the end, but I think about the fact that when Kurt Russell is being assaulted by one of the nastier troglodytes, that's what they call the, the savages in this movie, they call them troglodytes, when he's being assaulted by one of the troglodytes at the end, and then the troglodyte is about to shoot him in the groin, and can't figure the gun out. And so Chicory is sitting in the, you hear Chicory in the background like, oh, they, they don't know how to reload. They don't know how to reload. <laughs> and then, but that's, that was what it was. But then all of a sudden you see the, 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 
the savage like clicks, like cocks the gun, and you just hear Chicory in the background go, uh oh. <laughs> and it's just even in moments that are tremendously suspenseful and tremendously horrific he just infuses such a charm to to well, everything and to his credit i mean like this is an easy script to screw up yeah because yeah. you can't because the lines the one-liners are so strong you could easily steer into a kind of lampoon you know what i mean um, exactly exactly and i think it's a sign of a strong performer that's able to make these lines read as character and not as punchline yeah exactly you know exactly and, and and you never feel like i mean some of his lines are just a lot of them are, are amusing and fun some of them are, are bust a gut laugh out loud like it's just hysterical. Oh, yeah. yeah and i think it's a strength of performance that he's able to not make those stand out in such a way that they feel forced. I think that's a really impressive ability. But as as a possible way of like combining another section that we wanted to get into, I know you jotted down a few favorite lines from the script. Do you have any that you remember specifically <laughs> Chicory saying that you'd like to? Yes. Um, I have two. And if you use one of them, it's fine. But I mean, I've got, a, go I've got like four or five here. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to... It's hard to have any conversation about funny lines in this movie and not recognize the somnambulist bit. Oh my gosh. When <laughs> Matthew Fox is laying the tripwire and he just casually, any of you is somnambulist and without missing a beat, uh, Richard Jenkins, oh, that's private. You know, it's just hysterical. <laughs> oh, after man. the, after the fight, the, I think, who is it that calls him a dumb imbecile? Is it Patrick Wilson? Uh, yeah, it's Patrick there's Wilson a big goes off on him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a bit of a confrontation when things are really getting tense and heated between the four of them. And <laughs> Patrick Wilson calls him a dumb imbecile and after a beat or two apologizes to him. And just with that, again, it's, it's just in delivery. It's just in the character. He just says, well, my wife used to call me a dumb imbecile all the time. It felt kind of nice, you know, like, like he's, he's the most gracious, kind hearted, dopey doofus. And then I'll, I'll, oh, do, I know. I'll do one more and then I'll let you throw one. And, and then they're talking about the flea circus and he says, Oh my gosh. He's, he's, he's contending that this particular flea circus, um, that came to town that they were real fleas. They weren't, they were, they were alive. They weren't dead, just manning, uh, you know, automated little things. And he says, I don't know what kind of hearing fleas have. I think those fleas are alive and talented. You know, it's like <laughs> he is talented. so bought in. Uh, so, so those oh are, those God. are my, I, I, I've got one more about, uh, envying the horse and appreciating Mexican women for his, his horse, but. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you go ahead. Ch Chicory's, well, Chicory's, almost all of Chicory's lines are just, are just gold. I will call out to, I had the somnambulist moment written down. Uh, you know, after he says that's private. You know, Kurt Russell leans into him and says, he means sleepwalking. And right. he immediately calms down and goes, oh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> like, but one line that's actually not funny, it's a, it's a very sweet moment for Chicory is before they leave, he's out with, uh, at the, at the gravestone of his wife and he's standing there. And I took note of this for the first time in this third viewing where he's talking to her and he just very simply and, and elegantly says, there's some good people in trouble and I've got to do what I can for them. And then he sets the flowers down on the grave. He says, so I'll see you back here, which is very casual. And then he throws in or way up high. Wow. And it just touched me. It just, you know, like it, it was just one of those things where, and that's, the, that's, that's part of what I love about this film. These are, these characters are just decent people. They're right. just, they're just good people right. who know what needs to be done. 
And it's refreshing to see a story like that. That's not to mean that they're not without their flaws, sure. that they're not without their struggles, but they're just at heart, just decent people. And Chicory just, you know, throwing in that little, that little touch of, so I'll see you back here or way up high. And I just, right. I found that lovely, you know? So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to talk about the character of Bruder because Bruder's fascinating to me. And he's somebody that I, I, you and I mentioned off mic that. Matthew Fox, who we adore in in Lost, uh, we adore ev- almost everything about Lost, but Matthew Fox is somebody who his work has been sort of scattershot following Lost. He's been in some high-profile things, but never really of any acclaim that I, that I think can think of. But he does some outstanding work in this. I think as an actor, he just really shines in this role. He understands this character and does so well with the script that he's been given. And one of the things that I would note about his character, the movie posters, uh, there was a sequence of movie posters and four of them each featured these characters. Uh, Chicory's said the backup deputy. Kurt Russell's said the law. Patrick Wilson's said the cowboy and had in parentheses injured. And Bruder's said an armed gentleman. Hmm. And I just, I, I thought that was such a proper and appropriate little description of Bruder's character, just an armed gentleman. He knows he's, he's a skilled gunfighter. He, he knows what he's doing in general, just knows what he's doing for tracking, for camping, for hunting, for all of these things. He just knows what he's doing. And his character fascinates me because he seems to carry with him such a balance of shame and pride in equal measure that I found it I found him to just be a really really interesting character what were your sort of thoughts on on him yeah I mean I think I think there's a way in which it feels clear that he's kind of channeling whether it's in the script or whether it's in character interpretation kind of that Val Kilmer Doc Holliday kind of vibe Uh, but not but not in a way that feels copycat or or aping that you know I mean I, I do think he makes it his own yeah, I, I was just, like you said, kind of proud to see old Jack Shepard in a role that served him well, you know. And, and, right, right. Um, I think a lot of times it's challenging when you're in a really high profile something or other. You know, you look at the Lord of the Rings films or or even something like Lost and, and actors who experience this incredible high of, of great work that has some longevity to it, trying to figure out what's next for them. And, and they're a little all over the place and it's hard to find that level of material again and so it's nice to see him be be cast in and and sort of do do right by the material in this particular right one thing that and it's actually another line for chicory but um one of my favorite lines in the film is following something that bruder has done bruder when they're out trying to rescue well okay so let me say this because we we referenced the structure earlier what happens is the character of David Arquette and a- another actor named Sid Haig, who horror fans will know from some of Rob Zombie's work, and he he's a character actor in a number of different horror pieces. So those two are are thieves, and they disturb the burial ground of these troglodyte savages. And the savages kill Sid Haig's character of Buddy, and then they hunt down David Arquette's character of Purvis and find him in this town called Bright Hope. Well, in tracking him down... They also then wind up kidnapping, uh, the wife, uh, who is a, a doctor. She's like a, like a backup doctor in the town. 
they kidnap her and they kidnap the deputy, Deputy Nick, who we will definitely get to in a moment. But they kidnap them. But she's the wife, to be clear. She's the wife of Patrick Wilson. Yes. Sorry. Yes. She's uh, Patrick Wilson's wife, Mrs. O'Dwyer, as she's called in the script. And she and Deputy Nick are kidnapped along with Purvis. And then it falls to our four sort of knights, Chicory, Bruder, O'Dwyer, and Sheriff Hunt to go out and rescue them. Well, Bruder takes this responsibility on because he's the one who went and told her that she needed to come help this drifter that Sheriff Hunt had shot. And he said, you know, you need to come and and attend to him. And so he feels responsible for having dragged her into this. Well, while they're out on the on the trail, uh they're approached by two questionable figures and and they're uh they're Mexicans. They don't know if they they don't know if these people can be trusted, if they're bandits, if they are just fellow travelers, they're not quite sure. But before they have a chance to really find out, Bruder shoots them dead, just completely guns them down. And then Chicory goes, and, and when Patrick Wilson's character, O'Dwyer, asks what happened, Chicory said, Mr. Bruder just educated two Mexicans on the meaning of manifest destiny, mm-hmm. which I think that is a profound and wonderful line. Uh, I mean, it's, it's haunting. It is eloquent. Uh, it, it's Bruder's character is somebody who, again, getting back to that pride and shame, when they're leaving the tavern, he says, you know, he says, I'm going to go with you. I'm the most qualified here. I've killed more Indians than all of you. And that Indian that we referenced earlier is standing there and he jumps right on it. He says, that's an ugly boast. And Bruder looks right at him and says, it's not a boast, but a fact. And you just see in Matthew Fox's performance that he is simultaneously very kind of proud that he is that man and carries a lot of shame with him. Unless you had anything else to add to Bruder, I'll just just take one final final observation about his death. I found it interesting and smart from a storytelling perspective that Bruder is the first of our troop of people to get taken out and that he gets taken out so quickly in the journey because we learn throughout the course of the story that he really is very capable. He's very, you know, skilled at at this kind of thing and so He's just, he just knows what he's doing. So from a storytelling perspective, to take him out so easily really raises the stakes for the threat for our characters. You really begin to feel like, man, they're probably, probably none of them are going to make it out of this. They're, they're all, they're all pretty doomed. And I found that to be really compelling. But specifically his death moment is when he says how many Indians he's killed. And you can hear the shame in his voice when he talks about it. And then I loved the line. He said, you know, I'm far too vain to live as a cripple. This is this is my spot. This is where I'm going to die. And when they leave him, Matthew Fox does his little like, lost fans call it the Jack cry where he, you know, starts starts to you sure. know sort of break down a little bit. But in this, it's so strong because we've seen him so reserved for so long. And now he's just sort of dwindling and drifting down. And I, I, I found it to be very, very, very powerful. So let's talk for a minute, and and we can possibly even drift into theme a little bit with this, even though we will talk about Sheriff Hunt. Let's talk a little bit about Arthur O'Dwyer. One of the things that I love about Patrick Wilson's character is he's a character of faith. He has faith, and it's called out several times in the script, but not in a too-on-the-nose kind of way. Sure. Not in a way that is hokey. Not in a way that is shoehorned. It's very, very believable. One of my favorite moments, I'm going to get to my big favorite moment in a, in a minute, but one of my favorite things is when they're sitting around the campfire after they've already taken the journey. It's the first night that they're, that they're going. 
and he sits down. They're sitting down to beans, you know, beans and cheese or whatever it is. And he just very, you know, almost automatically just, okay, let's say grace. And he starts to say grace. And he breaks down. And, and, yeah, and breaks down and can't get through it. I love it so much because it's so real. Like he's, he's trying to thank, he's trying to thank God as he does for, you know, I'm sure every meal when he, he's a cowboy. So while he's out on the trail or while he's doing everything, he's just, this is something that's automatic to him. But he's sitting here. Thank you for these gifts that we're about to receive. And he can't get through it because he doesn't know what's happening to his wife. And he doesn't know if everything's going to be okay. And it's powerful. Sure. Really powerful to me. But, uh, and I want to bounce to you because I've been talking a lot, but I'll just mention it's, it's, it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite moment in the movie that, so he's injured. And as a result of his injury, the other three have to move on without him. And from a storytelling perspective, that raises the stakes tremendously because when we see what these guys are facing. Sure. I was sure. I was like, O'Dwyer's dead. Right. He's done. He's dead. But he has this moment where he begins to move in and he sees the camp of the troglodytes. And when he sees that, he looks up to the sky and says, are you seeing this? Right. Like he's right. like he's talking to God and he's like, are you seeing this? And I loved this line. Good Lord, I love this line. He says, this is why I've been talking to you for so many years for a little help here. Right. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what a, you know, like that is a very good, strong, believable, realistic portrait of a man who has lived with faith because it's not superstitious at all. We talked last week about the difference between faith and superstition. It's very much like, this is what I'm needing to do. I need you to help. Right. Like, right. like I'm going here. I just need you to have my back on this. And I, I, I just find it powerful. I just find it really affecting for me. And I remember saying when I watched the film the first time, I out said, loud to the room, by yourself. out loud to the empty room. <laughs> um, I said, and this was again, my first viewing of it. I said, how I feel about this film may ultimately depend on how they treat this character. Now, that didn't mean that I needed him to survive. Sure, It didn't mean that I needed everything to go well for him. But when you put such a powerful moment like that of faith in a couple of them, I I felt in my heart, I was like, how they treat this character is, it may determine how I ultimately feel about this film. And without getting into specifics, uh, that was probably true. And I love what they did with O'Dwyer's character. Absolutely Love it. But I've been talking a long time. Uh, your thoughts on O'Dwyer, Bruder, anybody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. And, and uh, hear this, in a movie where there are no weak characters, I do feel like Patrick Wilson, if there's a short end of the stick, he gets it a little bit, only in the sense that he is kind of the straight man. You know what I mean? He's oh, the, yeah. you know, the, in terms of characterization, there it's it's just kind of the straightforward. He does get to carry a lot of, as you just described, emotional heft um, in the script. And so that he serves that well. And, and uh, yeah, I, I remember rewatching, you know, kind of backing up just a little bit to, to watch that line again when he says that, because I think you, I think this is what you meant too. Like what's, what's powerful about that line is sort of him. He's kind of staking everything like, you yeah. know, like, oh, yeah. like, like up till now, it's just been a little bit of fun and games. Um, but this is serious and this is real. And, and I've kind of been faithful to you, my life. This is the moment where I need some, some, some return, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah. it's, it's a, it's a really powerful, um, way to serve that character. I, I do remember. So all I knew going into this movie was that there was quote unquote a scene. Like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's oh, all, yeah. that's all I knew. And I, for whatever reason, I suspected or was told or gleaned that it was in the, the late stages of the movie. And I remember texting you once they leave Patrick Wilson behind, you know, kind of definitely, definitively. Ah, uh, right, right. That once 
hunt and chicory get put upon by the savages and the preface to this thought we'll we'll get to in some of the themes or i'll get to in some of my theme ideas here but i i thought that's it like they are going to kill hunt and and chicory and patrick wilson's going to show up in time for the feast of his friends like that's like that is actively what i thought was going to happen and so fortunately i was very happy to be proved other proved wrong there but um i thought that was the scene we were aiming for but you know i mean i mean to your point they're just all very well-drawn characters and on top of that um they are partnered with very capable performers um so it's it's strong all the way around yeah and uh before we dive wholeheartedly into into theme i want to just talk for another minute or two about Kurt Russell's character. I think this is one of, I've always adored Kurt Russell. You and I spent a great deal of time talking about Kurt Russell during our. John He's a reasonable Parker. man, but he was seeing a lot of unreasonable things out on the uh, <laughs> plane with those troglodytes. He sure did. Oh, that is very unreasonable. What he, what he unfortunately had to witness. But I do think this is one of, if not his finest performance. He is. He's so strong in this movie because he brings such a confidence and a control and an understanding of what needs to what needs to be done. I love the line when when he is uh sort of assembling the the team of people and he says, you know, Mr. O'Dwyer and I are riding out. There's no choice for us. I love that line just that just throwing that in like there's no choice for us and it's cuz he's got a he feels responsible for the deputy and O'Dwyer's not going to not go after his wife, right. you know. So he's like there's no choice for us. But then, you know, Chicory and Bruder come on on their own accord, you know, just, just for their own reasons. But I love Sheriff Hunt as a whole because he is just such a, again, getting back to, he's just a decent man. These are decent people. I love it's such a small touch. But after Patrick Wilson learns that his wife has been abducted and he just takes off for the saloon, the learned goat, when he takes off for it, the camera lingers for a moment as Kurt Russell closes his door and collects his boots because mm-hmm. he's left in yeah. such distress yeah. that he leases it. And I, and I love that the film takes 15 seconds to show us that because it makes these people feel real. Sure. It makes them feel so believable. And it's, it's moments like that where I remember like, wow, you know, Hunt is just a decent human being. He's just reasonable and <laughs> he's a reasonable man. <laughs> but, you know, in all seriousness, he's, he's just, He's just good. He makes mistakes. He's got flaws, but he's just good. And, you know, I, I do want for time's sake and for, you know, necessity's sake to sort of shift into, into themes now. One of the things that I think is so prominent in this, and then I want to pivot to you to toss in a couple of themes. I have two. Uh, the first one we don't have to spend a ton of time on, which is why I'm bringing it up first is I think the film plays pretty, pretty subtextually throughout about the difference between humanity and savagery, not only in terms of these are four quote-unquote civilized men uh, headed into the camp of very identifiable savages, but I think throughout the film, there's this question of, you know, what separates us from, you know, from these, the, the animals, what right, separates right. us as, as people from animalistic beings. And uh, that's something that's present even in that moment with, uh, you know, when their horses get stolen mm-hmm. and, you know, Bruder has to shoot his horse in another great line where he just simply says, thank you for your service. And I tear up at the death of a horse. Like, come on. But but I, I feel like the film in general is attentive to the difference between like what makes us human, what separates us from 
people or creatures or anything that would just simply operate on its baser instincts right. and have no regard for for life and its preservation your your thoughts on that or well and uh, you know um because to be frank at a certain point in this movie it'd be it it would have been very easy for them to just stop their mission like like yes yeah. you know this is this is hopeless i mean it is you know, and, and so to your point of humanity versus not, like the compulsion that drives them to complete this mission, and and you see it on Hunt a number of times before, you know, kind of his, his ultimate fate. But like he knows, like this is not, we're not all coming back from this. It and what's strong about the script is no one ever says that, right? You know, yeah, right, it's not like right. all right, gentlemen, you know, here we go, it's the last ride of this fearsome foursome, you know, to your point about the humanity, you know, like good or not, these are rich characters and, and you referenced flaws earlier. Sometimes I think we use that as a checkbox in screenwriting, but uh, really they're just people. And, and you can see yeah. throughout where um, like you said, touches of grabbing O'Dwyer's boots because he forgot them in a rush or, there's just this sense in the latter part of the movie where these guys are scared. Like there's just no way around it, yeah. you know? And, and, yeah. and the movie does a good job of sort of portraying that without like drawing massive attention to it. Does that make sense? Right. Right. Oh, um, entirely. Yeah. Entirely. And again, they, they make such an intentionality about propping up these, the bad guys as like, as, uh, there's, there's nothing reasonable about them. Not, I don't even mean as in you right. can reason with them, but as in like, they are so extreme in their interpretation visually and actually like it, it makes for an easy, like good versus evil kind of conversation. You know, sure, what, what, sure. what does it mean to keep pushing in the face of deep evil? Um, right. Right. Um, I, well, and they uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Nope. You, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it, the, the savages are, are animalistic. I mean, that's, that was really the only statement I was going to make just that they are, they are very much in their behavior. Uh, they, they don't have a, they don't have a language per right, se. They right. use this, this howl thing. Um, they are very much animals. They are bipeds in that they stand upright and look like people, but they, they are treated in the script no differently than you would treat a, a animalistic predator. And I think that's intentional. Anyway, back to, back to what you were. Well, with. I was going to introduce sort of a thematic idea that, that, that might have some, some fruit for conversation, but sure, sure. You know, when I, uh, this being the first time I'd seen the movie, it is hard to, as not on the nose as this movie is, it makes it all the more stand out that the name of their town is Bright Hope. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I feel like when when I didn't know what was going to happen, yeah. there there is a sequence kind of at the three quarters mark, and this is what I wrote down during it. I said, "Are we all just on a hopeless mission?" Mm. Because, because I honestly thought uh, the way the shape of the movie, the way the flavor of the movie is panned out, you get the feeling none of them are going to survive. Like it right. would, it would not have surprised me if that is how this would have ended. And it's, and interestingly, I don't know that it still would have felt like a nihilistic movie, if that makes sense. Um, mm. oh yeah, 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 I get it. But, but what I wrote down is, are we all just on a hopeless mission? And I said, it, sometimes the world can feel that way. Like mm. we leave the safety of bright hope of our home. Right just to find it a matter of time before we're waylaid by bum legs or brigands or cannibal mm. crazies. And we're living in a heightened society right now and, and, and season of time where 
man, it is not hard to let that fear in. You know what I mean? Like it is not. Oh yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take much to start freaking out. And yeah, to me, like, like faithful living, a, a tent pole of faithful living is active, conscious resistance to those forces. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it Um, makes perfect sense. You know, and, and, and like there was, there was a moment in the movie when I was writing this that, or, or when I was sensing these things where I got real sad, like, man, it is tough sometimes, you know, um, you might, you may go through a good season where things are happening well for you, but then you look at the news or, or maybe things are going rough, rough for you. And, and it is easy to just sit and stop, you know, like it, it would right. be, it would yeah. be easy to do that. But kind of as a counterpoint to that, like, I think it might be Hunt who says this at the end. I just wrote down the quote, um, but I did not attribute it. And he says, whoever it is says, we'll make sure this all has value. It's, it's Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm getting kind of emotional just saying it because like Mm. there, there is a sort of philosophy that I think is true that, uh, and here there's, there needs to be some nuance attached to this, but that we make our meaning, you know, like, Mm. like, it would be easy for Sheriff Hunt to be like, we're all, it's all screwed. It's all for nothing. Why did we even come here? Right. This was right. stupid. Your wife was dead the minute she got abducted. Nick was dead the minute he got abducted. Mm-hmm. We're idiots for pursuing this. But mm-hmm. what he says is, we'll make sure this all has value. You know, like, like oh, we are, go- we are going to generate in our collective memory and our spirit, you know, in O'Dwyer's faith. This is going to mean something of value in the rear view. And when we're going to help fabricate, help manufacture that meaning. I don't know. It was really powerful. Uh, yeah. I, I, oh, I have so much to say. Well, the, the good news here is that you've already, that, that w- hope was my theme as well. So we can spend a little bit uh, more time here. The, uh, the, not, not because my themes are more important, but just we've coincided here. So we sure. can, we can linger for a moment. I wrote down the exchange after they've had to set. O'Dwyer's leg and mm-hmm. have to leave him behind. Mm-hmm. Hunt leans over to Chicory and I just love the simplicity of this. Hunt asks Chicory, will he survive? And Chicory just says very casually in his way, well, he has a chance. Right. And I'm like, it's so simple. And when you remember how the, or when you know how the movie plays out, it's very powerful. Well, right. he has a chance. Right. There's a chance, you know, and you're right. You're absolutely right about, I, I'm so glad you referenced that line because I actually hadn't written it down, but he tells Bruder we'll make sure this all has value. And Bruder just simply says, please do. You know, hope is infused into nearly every scene of the movie in, mm-hmm. in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Even, let's talk for a second about the scene. Let's sure. talk about, like, the the scene. It would have been very easy for Nick, poor Deputy Nick, good God, poor Deputy Nick, who is given... Exactly two scenes of screen time, <laughs> one of which he's casually playing checkers, the other of which, here's how I'll say it. He's being treated the way fishermen would treat a fish they were about to eat. That's the way Deputy Nick is is treated. He is cleaned and prepared as a meal for these for these beasts. And before that happened, and we know, we know that he knows what's about to happen. That Deputy Nick knows what's about to happen because he saw it happen to David Arquette's character. And this is something that I love, that the film doesn't show us what happened to David Arquette's sure, character. Sure, sure. I It would have been so easy for the film to be, you know, just nihilistic and, and just show us that right. because. But he's just gone. He's just done. 
And we know that Deputy Nick knows what happened to him because they watched it. And he says what he chooses to do when he knows what's about to happen to him is he chooses to look at Sheriff Hunt. He could easily cuss him out. He could easily start screaming, flailing, and thrashing. But instead, he looks at Hunt and he says, that was a bad man. You were right to shoot him. You did the right thing. He deserved to die. Yeah. And why it strikes me so powerfully is he's choosing in what he knows to be his final moments to assure Sheriff Hunt, what you did was right. This is not your fault. Right. This is just a thing that has happened. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And what does Hunt do in return? That scene is one of the goriest and most grotesque things I have ever seen in any film. And I point to it when I'm talking to people as a perfect example of how sometimes I think horrific things can be justified in films. Because that film is not in any way glorifying gore. It's not in any way being uh, sensationalistic about it. It's being very deliberate and intentional because what Nick says to Hunt, and then what does Hunt say to Nick while Nick is going through this torment and is going through this torture. Hunt is saying, you know, that they're, they're coming and they're going to rid the world of these godless savages. You know, like he's, he's saying to Nick that you're going to be avenged essentially, which is what he says to, you know, he tells Chicory, if, if that were happening to me, that's what I would want to hear. And it gets back to this idea of hope. You know, this, this is not worthless. This is not going to just be for right. not, for nothing, you know? And that's what he leaves. You're, you're brushing up against what, what is sort of a sub theme of all of this. And, and, uh, actually it was interesting. My wife and I had a conversation recently about this, not about this movie, but about this idea. And, and what I wrote down is lies, L I E S as kindness. And, Oh yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting in, in the world of faith, there's so much freight attached to the notion of the, the implementation of kind of quote unquote truth. And however you, you know, in, in whatever context that matters in the given moment. And so, so my wife and I were talking about this idea of, of, is there not occasion sometimes where an untruth out of a measure of kindness is not in, in the red green binary of good evil, a, a, a red. Um, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, follow. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, I think about it's in, in the front of a Stephen King book. I don't remember which one it is, but he talks about, and he may be quoting someone else, but that writers lie to reveal the truth, you know, that. Oh, yeah. And fiction and, is the truth inside the lie. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I mean, gosh, you know, to take it to where our, our show naturally, our natural endpoint, I mean, Jesus tells parables. These are not, these are not true tales. You know, these are, right, these right. are stories meant to illustrate something greater. And, and I think it's fascinating that this movie employs this, these characters in this movie, in this very real world, these very real characters, you know, Hunt says to him, the cavalry is coming. Mm -hmm. And even Chicory calls him on it. He's like, why did you tell him that? You know, yeah. and it's what I would want to hear. Like, the man is not doing Nick a disservice. No, no. You know, in, in fact, if anything, it, it sort of validates this notion of there is something higher and greater. We're going to make sure this has value. I mean, gosh, Mrs. O'Dwyer says to Chicory. Oh, my gosh. I love I it. I know the, where you're going. I love the, the fleas, uh, they aren't usually, but the ones you saw, those fleas were alive. Oh, my gosh. There's no, there's no chance she's telling the truth. But it's a kind She winks at Hunt after it. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She winks at Hunt. Yeah, so you know um, she's lying. 
you know, and I, I just think these moments, I, I hope listeners don't hear this and think I'm going to start lying to everybody inside. Cause it's a good thing. And Nathan <laughs> said it and it's going to be kind to people there. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think there is, you know, if faith is defined at all in scripture, it's things unseen, you know, that there is a oh sense, my there is gosh. a sense in which <laughs> it, it makes my heart sing for, for, to get your kind of verbal response in that manner, uh, to anything I say ever. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, like think, think about these characters in this moment. They're done. Like it is over. Like in their mind, we are not surviving this. Right. So, right. so, so what do they do by saying something that you could categorize as false? They're speaking truth to each other. Right. Which is right. There is a hope. And, mm-hmm. and this is going to be a terrible experience, but there is something you can hope for. And oh the, my gosh. And, and a, it may not be a literal physical militia on its way to avenge us, but there's a cavalry coming. There are, mm-hmm. there are fleas that are alive and, and you can, Hey, Chickory, you can bank on that brother. You know, like yeah. it's, it's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and oh, oh my gosh, you're just igniting my spirit within me because like i love that you brought this in. i didn't even think about that but the the scriptural reference you know it, it, faith is the evidence of things not seen it's the it, it's the substance of things hoped for and i had two different scriptures i was going to bring in but i think that one is the most appropriate one we could infuse in this conversation so i thank you for it just that it is that that is the essence of faith and two two things i'll mention well three things <laughs> Sorry, forgive me. I love this movie. Good Lord, I love this movie. Um, a cavalry does come. And no, it's not a troop of armed soldiers. It is a hobbled, crippled. Wow. Yeah. No, yeah. no chance he was ever going to make it. Man, O'Dwyer comes. And despite one man versus seven of these things, he, he makes it. Right. And right. he and Chicory and his wife make it out. It's, it's awesome and crazy to me that, 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 hoped for thing happens. And then you want to talk about hope. How about, I'm going to let you say it. How about what I think is, it's my favorite line of the movie. Might be yours. I don't know. But how about Hunt's final words when he's talking to Chicory as they're leaving? What, what are those words? <laughs> say that, say those words. I got it. I got it. Go right I got ahead. it written right here. He says, say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello to yours. Oh my gosh. And what is that? But the hope of heaven, right. the hope of a future, he's sitting there suffering. He's, he's, he knows, he, and he says, I'm going to take care of the last three because they know about bright hope. So I'm going to get rid of them. But just that line in a different movie might be the cheesy, right. hokey, that's ridiculous. The, that's the, you know, the, the Will Smith shot. You know, it's like, get zoom in <laughs> close. Now deliver it, Will. All right. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what's amazing? What's amazing about that is like, you know, you, you've threaded this whole conversation with notes of how lived in this world is. And that's very true. And, and a moment like that, like there is a, there is a way in which these characters going through what they've gone through, even on the trail. And even once they're there, like they, they will occasionally get assaulted by fear or waylaid by doubt, but they, I would say they never lose hope. Like, no, no, you know, and that line is indicative of, of that, that he is not saying, Oh God, what a stupid idea this was. He's saying, Yeah, I, I'm going to make sure this has value for me 
and I'm going to ask you, Chicory, to make sure this has value for you. Like, yes, it's got to mean something. Yeah. Uh, and not, and, and not in this like childish, uh, we're just sort of, it doesn't make any sense anyway. So let's just make it up as we go along. But in this, like, you, you've got to tell a better story than the one that's sometimes happening around you. Absolutely. And let's talk for a second about the very final shot because. When you're when they're traveling on this journey and they have to separate from Mr. O'Dwyer, he says, leave some stones for me to follow. Leave some stones for me so that I can follow where you're going to go. And at first, when I first watched the movie, I didn't understand what Chicory was doing. Because when they leave the cave, when Chicory, Mr. and Mrs. O'Dwyer leave the cave, Chicory picks up a stone. And I'm like, what? What's that about? Like at first, I was even thinking, like, is is this a weapon in case they come after him? Is he going to throw a rock at him or whatever? And 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 it was upon subsequent viewings and upon further conversation that it stuck out to me. Hunt has told him, Sheriff Hunt has told him that he's going to die. Say goodbye to my wife. I'll say hello to yours. And then they leave. Chickory picks up a stone, and when he hears the three gunshots indicating that Hunt has wiped out the troglodytes, the final shot of this movie is him dropping a stone, and I think, in my reading of the film, he's leaving a stone for Hunt to follow. He knows wow. Hunt won't, yeah. but he's leaving a stone wow. for Hunt to follow. There is, in the final moment of this film, there's a stone sitting on the ground, and we could spend, we're not going to, but we could spend another hour or two talking about the relevance of leaving a stone, marking the right. territory, an building altar. an altar. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Like that. that is key to hope and faith and the substance of moving uh, forward. Who, uh, yeah, I, I, even in just the one viewing, I don't know that I recognized the, the, the level of attentiveness to some of this. But I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I want to answer my own question I posed earlier of are we on just a hopeless mission? And, and despite the attempts to sometimes succumb to that feeling, I, I would in my inmost self say never and not at all. And, and, mm. And I think it's powerful that some, a character like Chicory, who even, I mean, any of these characters, but, you know, if l let's for a minute play with that idea of, of the altar, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. clear these characters live in a real world where a biblical text existed. O'Dwyer references this, you know, Chicory, I imagine is also probably in his way, a man of faith. And, you know, I, d yeah. I don't know necessarily that that's what that's intended by in the end, but w altars were meant as places of remembrance. You know, places yes. of, 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 yes. of significance. And mm -hmm. there is, there is some power to consider that. And, and, and we can look at this in these characters' lives. We can look at this in our own life, which is to say, these characters experienced probably the worst thing that they will ever go through ever again. Like, like you yeah. have not yeah. only in the sense of on a metaphysical kind of you face down evil and survive, but also just in a purely physical, like physical emotional sense, like, Odds are good, and let's hope for their sake that they never experience something like this again. Oh. But in, but instead of closing the book on it and saying, "Oh God, I'm glad that's over with." Oh man, what a terrible world we live in. He throws down a stone, and again, if if we just play with this reading for a moment, I don't know the movie's yeah. necessarily intending it, but he builds an altar. You know, this this mm -hmm. is this is a he has made sure this has value. We will remember this. Yeah. Oh, this is man. important. Um, this is significant. This is shaping, but this mm -hmm. is not breaking. Right. This, despite poor Nick, this is not breaking and that, that it's all, yeah. that it all matters. Yeah. It, and you know, the, the, oh man, good Lord. Can we have another hour to talk about this movie? I, 
Uh, I, uh, think so much. Again, I want to call out, uh, your Hebrews chapter 11 reference. Uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I had two more scripture verses that as we wind down towards the tarmac, the first one is Psalm 23 and verse 5. The 23rd Psalm is very well known to even non-believing listeners, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Mm, yep. And what are, so let's look at it for, for just a second and I'll be very brief because I know we need to wrap up. We're going long, but these savages are quite literally not to be grotesque, but these savages are quite literally, they're preparing them for a meal. They're preparing these people. They're dehumanizing them. They don't see them as human beings. They're preparing them as, as food. They're preparing them as a meal. And what is the table that is being prepared in the presence of these enemies? If not hope, mm. There is still something of value to, to reach for. And, you know, what does O'Dwyer say? This is the, the second and, and last verse of scripture that I was going to bring in. What does O'Dwyer say out there? He said, this is why I've been talking to you for a little bit of help. Well, what does Psalm 46 say? God is our refuge and our strength and ever present help in trouble. And it says, therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. To put a button on all of it, despite your circumstantial evidence, despite the mm. direness of everything that is going on around you, despite literally, Chicory says when they're stuck there and he sees what happens to Nick, he says, we're in hell. He yeah. says that. Yeah. He says, we're in hell. Despite, but, oh man, what is the script? What does the other Psalm say that I didn't write down? So I don't remember what number it is. What does the other Psalm say? To the Lord, even if I make my bed in hell, you will find me. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh, I love Bone Tomahawk so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie so much. Um, I mean, it is, it is a powerful, we're, we're winding down, we're wrapping up, but it is a powerful, potent, effective movie that already three viewings in. I love it substantially even more every single time I see it. Uh, it is a significant, <laughs> achievement and and i'm so glad that it's a story that exists in the world nathan i know i know yes, we need sir. to wrap up but do you have anything else to add you have any any final buttons or moments or so anything? yeah my i think as sort of a final button you know it's it's poetic and silly but you know however far you feel you've wandered from bright hope there's always a chance to get back there yeah i i love it and i think that's a perfect note to end on this uh conversation's gone a little long but as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. If you've seen Bone Tomahawk and have some additional thoughts, uh, we would love to hear them. Um, if you haven't seen it and have heard this whole episode, uh, please still go see it. I know there's some gruesome things in it, but man, it is an, a powerful and encouraging injection of hope into into your world and life. You can reach out to us in a number of ways. Uh, you can most uh, easily follow us on Twitter. Uh, Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. And uh, you can like us on Facebook. There's a link to Facebook through Twitter. You can also follow me directly on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides at the fear of God? At the learned goat. Just kidding. At the <laughs> Nathan Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also email us fear of God podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit More Than One Lesson to leave a direct comment on this post. There's also a More Than One Lesson episode about Bone Tomahawk if you want to hear some additional thoughts on that that we didn't necessarily focus on. Um, you can also leave us a review on iTunes. That's the easiest and best way to uh, 
bring us to the attention of more listeners and, and get us out there to more people. We appreciate so much you taking the time to listen to us. And Nathan, I so appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Yes, sir, my friend. Always a pleasure. We'll check out social media to see where we're going next week. And until that time, uh, you be safe, stay away from the troglodytes, and we'll see you then. Later. Hey, uh, say hi to everybody, buddy. Say hi. Say hi to everybody. Say hi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're on the computer. We need to go. So just say hi. Say hi, everybody.